This is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome to the Homeschooling with Technology show. Your host, Meryl Vandermerva, loves using technology to streamline her life and to make lessons more engaging. She is a graduated homeschool mom and teaches homeschoolers at her local co-op classes and online at fundafundaacademy.com. Whether you are tech-challenged or someone who loves technology, this show is for you. And here's your host, Meryl Vandermerva. Hello and welcome to the Homeschooling with Technology podcast. This is your host, Meryl Vandermeer, and today in episode 180, we're going to be looking at representation in kid tech. And I have with me Amber O'Neill Johnson, and we have had Amber on the podcast before. She was here in episode 157, sharing with us uh, how her daughter has taught herself so many crafts through YouTube and other videos. So welcome back, Amber. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you again. So Amber is back here with us because she has just written a book, which you can pre-order. We're going to tell you a little bit more about that as we go along, but you can pre-order it now. It'll be out on May the 17th. And this book is, uh, what is your book called? You introduce it. Okay. It's called A Place to Belong, Celebrating Diversity and Kinship in the Home and Beyond. Right. So um, Amber is, it tells about her own experiences and those of her children in this book and um, gives us a lot to think about. Now, um, she gave me a copy of the book to look at. I have read the intro and I read the chapter that we're going to particularly be looking into. I will be reading the rest of it because it is extremely well written and it's, it'll be eye-opening to you. I think it is an important read for for everybody, whether you're a homeschooler or not, but obviously um, Amber is a homeschooler. And so, you know, she is obviously writing from a point of view of a homeschool mom in the whole thing. So your book is all about representation in general, um, finding a place to belong. And we're going to be looking at the topics specifically through the lens of media and technology. The idea of belonging and how that looks for people of lots of different diversities. So let's just, you know, start off and talk about why is it important is this an important topic? Just kind of take the broad picture before we narrow down into tech. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, for you can look at from every angle for non-white children, it's very important for them to have the opportunity um, to feel rooted and seen and valued in their home, especially, but in other spaces where they spend time. And I found that with my own children and with the other children that I work with in our community, that when they are able to take their minds off of kind of their otherness, um, that gives them the energy that they need to extend across the aisle to build friendships and relationships with um, people who are different than them and, and those who share similarities. And I think that that's at the root of it for white children as well, that why, why would any of this matter for them? And I think that um, their ability to get to know people um, and find how they have things in common and to be able to celebrate the differences of others and to feel good about who they are. Um, it helps them to be interested in also, you know, spreading these branches um, out towards other people. So that's why, you know, the subtitle of the book is diversity. Yes. On one hand, but also kinship. So that idea of togetherness that in the midst of all of this, that we are celebrating one another, getting to know one another, but the main point being that we're coming together. 
And I think, you know, as you were saying all that, okay, so those of you who've listened to me for a long time know I'm South African, but um, South Africa was called by um, Bishop Desmond Tutu, who won the Nobel Peace Prize. He called us a rainbow nation. And always struck me as slightly the different way America sees us as being a melting pot. So I've obviously come to America as not a native and obviously somewhere along the past, your ancestors came to America and not as native, you know, you weren't a native American either. And obviously most of the whites came in here. And the concept here is we're all put together and our cultures kind of all blend into one, which is okay. I still prefer the South African version of the rainbow nation because that was the idea. South Africa, we are lots of different um, colors. And the idea was we celebrated our differences so that together we made the rainbow. And that was, and I've always loved that. Um, That's like one of my favorite things, uh, thinking when I think about South Africa is that, which is exactly what you're saying. It's not because the rainbow together is a rainbow because of its differences. Yeah, not and and together it makes the beauty and so that to me is you know my own homeland I love the fact that we celebrated our diversity always not as something that will pull us apart but rather that together being diverse we were beautiful yeah I think that's so wonderful and and you'll find a, a section of the book you haven't gotten to yet I talk about part of what inspired me with these ideas in the book and in even writing the book was when I saw the we have a chandelier in our foyer and the sunlight comes in each afternoon and these rainbows dance on our walls and my little boy was so excited about it when we moved here and the chandelier is a little bit ugly and so I was looking forward to taking it down when we bought this house but when I saw how excited he he was and he said mama look at all the colors and I would look at these rainbows dancing every day and I'm like gosh they really are beautiful and it just kind of led down a rabbit trail in my mind of you know what makes the rainbow so beautiful really is the these distinct colors mm-hmm. all lined up and coming together and so it's just really funny I mean it'll seem like we planned it to, to have this conversation <laughs> because when you read that part of the book but it is true and it's part of what excites me as well and and what I think about and and I quote um Desmond Tutu in the book as well and so oh, wow. I think yeah I, I I think you're really understanding then the core of where I'm coming mm-hmm. from and I think when we talk a lot about um you know, inclusivity and diversity, a lot of people are thinking, oh gosh, I'm so tired of this. Or they are feeling like all of this talk is pulling people apart. And I'm thinking, well, it could be because anything could be divisive depending on how you use it. But in this case of what I'm talking about, it is a celebration of individuality with the purpose of um, learning to love ourselves and each other Mm -hmm. so that we can build authentic friendships and relationships mm-hmm. and support systems and community. So um, that's kind of, yeah, that, that's from it's, the it's just, it's It's just so more, much more interesting. My oldest son, when he went off to college, you know, and you have to sort of say down the kind of person you want to have, it was um, where he was, they literally paired you. You didn't get to choose your roommate. So, but you had to like give criteria. And he said, I want an international student. <laughs> and it was, it was because like he's under, he understands the fact that it's not that there's anything special about international students. He just thought it would be interesting yeah. living with and getting to know somebody from a different culture. Sure. Um, you know, and, you know, it was just that same thing that he just gets excited about it. Yeah. So our particular topic here is representation in 
in um, technology. And I know you talk about representation in books as a different part of your book, but right now, just to, in general, why is it important for us all to be able to be represented in some way? Well, yeah, when children see people who look like them um, and people who authentically characterize these different crucial aspects of their lived experiences, it is a very clear signal that society sees them and that they matter. So watching people of color or women or people with disabilities or whatever um, on screen or in their digital lives or anywhere doing things that spark interest inspires um, our children to believe that they can do the same. And often, you know, when I talk about this, people will, there's always someone who raises their hand and said, well, yes, but can't they gain inspiration from seeing others? Because I, you know, saw somebody else who wasn't like me at all. And I got inspired. And yes, of course they can. We, we all do. We all have. And, and our children do that today too. Um, but the visual of someone who looks like them or represents some aspect of where they may be experiencing themselves as being othered in certain scenarios, it um, offers like a very powerful and nuanced sense of belonging. Right. And um, interestingly, I was watching a, a cooking show um, recently and the winner was a Native American lady. And along the way, when they kind of asked her what it would mean for her to win and when she then she did win, she felt this very strongly that the people of her tribe would see that somebody from their tribe could win. So it wasn't even just Native American could win, but she felt it just for her own tribe. And when she, at the beginning, she was very under the radar. It was kind of interesting. She was just kind of part of the, wasn't a terrible cook and wasn't shining. And then at some point she realized if she's going to stay, she's got to sort of, you know, do something to actually make herself, you know, be seen. And she started cooking from her, her family recipes. She started using the foodstuffs local to their area and what the tribes, you know, the tri I mean, I know tribe is always whatever she calls herself, it was not mm -hmm. always the kosher word to use, but just yeah. for the words, I mean, it's the, the Native American group she comes from. But she started using the foodstuffs and things that were uh, indigenous to the area and what she'd grown up eating. And the, the, it was often blind tasting, so the judges didn't know it was hers. And they were like, oh, this is so fantastic. This is so great. And how she loved seeing them appreciate her culture. And so to her, when she won, she felt that she'd won not just for herself, but for her people. Yeah, that's, that there's a very... Yeah, there's a very strong sense of that. And when you see someone, um, even as adults, you know, you're telling this story, she's an adult and it's so much mm -hmm. more so for kids. I mean, um, in the book, I share a story about when Disney announced that the new live action Little Mermaid film, that the star, you know, is going to be um, Halle Bailey, this young black actress with this beautiful songbird voice. Mm -hmm. My daughters were like, elated. And I don't think I can even express to people how exciting that was. I mean, it was a big deal in mm -hmm. our family and among our friend group. Um, and so things that may not seem like that big of a deal because they don't come around that often to children who don't usually see themselves and to adults too, to your point, mm -hmm. um, we do get excited and you do feel like you're representing your group and you want to do a great job and you want them to see that you can do this too. Mm -hmm. um, so let's move on to the next question. What percentage of Americans are not white? 
So uh, approximately 40% of Americans are non-white, um, non-Hispanic. And I think that, um, I'm sorry, not non-Hispanic, 60% are white, non-Hispanic, and 40% are non-white. I misspoke there. But uh, essentially, you would expect to kind of see that reflected in our children's media, whether it's um, something they're watching online or streaming or television or movies, video games, and, and all of the above. And that just isn't the case. And so that leads, you know, leads us to well, the way I explain it to someone for every 10 people you see on the screen, you would expect for four of them to be non-white, you know, if we were mm -hmm. kind of just estimating and everyone can agree that that's nowhere near um, where we are right now. Right. And, and of course, there's a secondary problem which you deal with in the book is that it's not just the fact that you're not represented. But if you are represented, not all representation is created equal. Wow. So what are some of the problematic types of representation? Well, you have, yeah, that invisibility where obviously that's kind of the opposite of representation. Right. We're just not there. there. But when you are represented, uh, when non-white uh, people are represented in the media, you often see, and when I say media, I don't mean news media, or I should say uh, on the screen, on a screen, yeah. um, you often are dealing with distortion um, or stereotypes where the kind of get stuck in this one trope, you know, and so some of the ones that I name are kind of the, you know, I'll say because I'm a black woman, but that neck rolling, angry, loudly opinionated or hypersexualized black women um, or kind of the uh, black or brown men, the Latino or black men gang banging, hanging out outside, you know, doing drugs, selling drugs, that whole thing, or even the heavily accented South Asians, the mm -hmm. playing the comic relief with the taxi cab driver or owning a convenience store. And these things seep into our own, you know, thoughts. And even when we feel like we're, we can kind of overcome them. Um, that's not always the case in her book, real to real, the late author, she, she actually passed away right while I was writing this book, um, bell hooks. She said that, although we know that movies are not real life, no matter how sophisticated our strategies of critique and intervention, we are usually seduced at least for a time by the images we see on screen, they have power over us and we have no power over them. So I think as adults, we think we're above that, like, oh, we can, we, we know a stereotype when we see it, but when you see the same thing in, day in mm. and day out through so many years, you do start, it, it impacts you. It impacts the way you think, even when you don't notice it. And so much more so for our children, because they're not always able to even think critically about it, because that may be their only image of that type of a person maybe coming through the screen. Right. And of course, it's not just um, movies and, and videos, but um, computer gaming, which I know is more my thing than your thing. But <laughs> yeah, no, my kids are gamers it's, too. My kids are right, gamers are and they? it comes right. up there. Yeah, yeah, it does. It comes Definitely. up in their edutainment and different apps. Mm -hmm. And um, absolutely, it does. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same thing. And, you know, my little boy has asked me about that. And he said, can, can black people be in video games? And I was like, yes, of course, you know, but you're not going to see it that often. And, and he's not really, really into sports. And so he isn't playing these sports games, which is typically where you would ever see mm -hmm. that stereotypical black representation. Right. Um, so in the games that he's playing, he never sees that. Um, right. So, yeah, you're right. 
Yeah. I know it's it's only been fairly recent that you've had more women protagonists also in your in your gaming and you know to sort of Laura Croft Tomb Raider was about you know when she was writing for the woman kind of got happy but there is still not that much it's still you know it's it's often the male who's who's the the hero in you know whether you when you're playing a um a first person action game or what one of those kind of things RPGs um so now let's look at what can we as parents do about this obviously we can't just wave a magic wand and fix everything but at the same time i love the fact you do come up with some ideas in your book so that as parents we don't have to just say oh my gosh this is terrible but we can actually try to do something about it yeah i'm and that's always my approach so there's no point i don't like to just yeah. complain about something and and then leave ourselves you know leave ourselves with the well there's nothing we can do about it and i'm like okay well then stop talking about it but right. i do feel like there is something we all can do and within our own homes one one low you know some of the low-hanging fruit would be to um, promote media literacy so it's not to and this is the message in my book it doesn't mean don't allow our children to watch or see or listen to anything that's not healthy, I don't think is the, the healthiest route, but to prepare them for what they may encounter or what they will encounter. So uh, always asking questions, teaching our kids to ask questions. So I always teach my kids to, to ask who created this project or this thing that you're interacting with. And um, you, you think that that person's trying to change your opinion in some way or your behavior who's the target audience? How did watching this make you feel? Are the messages balanced? And, and this is not just one conversation. I didn't teach my kids here. Let me read these 10 questions. For you. <laughs> and from now on, I want you to think about this. It, these are the types of questions that I ask them over time and that they in turn have learned to, to critically think through when they're evaluating their own media. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, there's another thing that you mention in your book is that you actually talk about, you know, if, you know, once your kids have sort of become more media literate, et cetera, it's not just a case of them passively or sort of taking it in, but you also encourage the fact that the children can become creators. And yeah. I love that because, um, you know, if anybody's listened to many of my podcast episodes, I'm constantly encouraging using media, you know, creating the media, creating the games, being creators with technology and not just passively consuming it. And here I thought you had some great ideas, you know, on the idea of that the kids become creators. And I think then some of them will grow up to maybe, you know, create more, but even on a low level. Yeah, I think that that's been a really healthy way so that they're not just constantly consuming where I'm sitting here thinking, oh, what messages are they receiving? I'm telling them you create the messages. You put your thoughts and ideas and talents and your faces out on the screen or make it available, your work available to others. Um, and even in a kind of in-between way, I encourage them to look to other diverse content creators. Um, and that's one thing that's kind of awesome about the internet that my kids are able to interact with chefs and authors and storytellers and other creatives and historians um, who are kind of flying below the radar of the maybe bureaucracy that exists when we think of the big companies or big um, platforms, but things like YouTube and some of these other, even Etsy, mm -hmm. right, and interacting with, with uh, makers in that space um, craftsy and other things that my kids have been able to do where they can see people and then follow the people that are, um, not necessarily beholden to the industry's, um, 
slow moving changes that they're making. Right. Um, and I think that's been really good for us. Now, and just thinking, uh, um, you know, because I teach programming and scratch programming is the one I teach, which is very visual. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking now on Scratch, I don't remember seeing many games with um, anything apart from white characters. Now they do have, because they have a whole, um, they have a whole lot of sprites that you can use built in. Plus you can, you can in import anything else, you know, to actually create your games. But, you know, I would just love to see more represent, more diverse representation there. And as children create their games, um, including, you know, a variety of different color, color characters, um, you know, as they making games and other people are playing them because, you know, I haven't really seen that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the things I often say is success, you know, people are like, what is it that you want, Amber? And I'm like, oh, I'm just, I, I, what I want is for our kids to be able to see a wide variety of people and to appreciate it, to notice it, and mm -hmm. then to just keep on moving because it's not even a big deal to them. I right. want them to see it and not think, mm -hmm twice about it. No, I did read in your book, the one, I'm trying to remember exactly what you said, but it was some story where the child was creating a character or something and they were making white characters because they didn't think the black ones would. I'm yeah, she says, right. She says she didn't, she, she had to write, it was a black woman. Right. And she said when she was writing stories, she had to, she always wrote white characters in all her stories. And, and she looked back, why was I doing that? Because that's all she knew. She yeah. said she had to write what was most familiar to her. And I, and I was kind of wondering about that with Scratch again, you know, I mean, like I don't spend ages looking at other kids' programs and things on there, but, um, you know, there is just that, that question as to even with Scratch, are there perhaps children on there coding who feel the need to be part of what everything else is going and don't actually think about putting their own personality and, you know, culture into it? Yeah, I think you're you're not always sure, you know, sometimes, especially know. with children not having that confidence always right. to stand out or to be different, that a lot of times it can just be easier to just do what everyone else around you is doing or try to blend in. Well, Amber, I just want to finish up now. Let's tell everybody where to get your book. Um, by the way, the forward to her book was written by Julie Bogart, who was also a guest on our podcast. She came and spoke about screens and guilt. <laughs> so a different sort of media thing there. And so if you enjoyed um, Julie, she um, say wrote a really great uh, forward for, for Amber. But you can go grab Amber's book and you can go to I will put this in the show notes. Show notes are at homeschoolingwithtechnology.com, but it's a place to belongbook.com. So you've got to have the A at the beginning. So that's a place to belongbook.com. If you pre-order it, what are all the bonuses that they get? Well, so far, the bonuses that we've announced, um, they can get uh, two free heritage packs, which are my multicultural lesson plans that include books and videos and um, links to different things that allow um, some of the aspects of culture and life and history that kids aren't necessarily getting and through their other studies or curricula. Um, and then we have some surprises coming that haven't been announced yet that everyone who already ordered will get and people ordering everyone who orders before May 17th. And one of them is something including Julie Bogart. So um, yeah, anybody who places an order before the book ships on May 17th will receive those bonuses. They have to fill out the form at a place to belong book.com. Right. Just tell me your website, your normal website, if they want to go look there. My website is heritagemom.com and I kind of hang out on Instagram and Facebook at heritagemomblog. 
Right, and um, that, I think that's where I first discovered Amber was on Instagram. I really do enjoy her Instagram uh, channel and all the things she shares. Well, thank you so much for uh, being with us again today and go out and buy her book. Thank you for having me. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Homeschooling with Technology with Meryl Vandermerva. Visit her at fundafundaacademy.com and homeschoolingwithtechnology.com. Homeschooling with Technology is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.